what I want to do as we dive into the word is I want to start with a question. And the question is this, is how do you deal with sadness in your life? Now, when I say sadness, I don't mean the kind of sadness you feel when your little kid drops their ice cream on the ground and you really don't want to buy new ice cream. Obviously, that's sad. Um, I'm not talking about the kind of sadness you feel um, when your parents leave on a long trip without you as a kid and you want to go so bad, although certainly that is sad. And I don't even mean the kind of sadness that you feel when the NBA takes away your Seattle Sonics and moves them to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm not bitter about that at all, um, although that is sad. No, the kind of sadness that we're going to be talking about today is, is, is real sadness. And so uh, even though I kind of started off here a bit with a lighthearted gesture towards sadness, the reality is this, is we're going to be talking about something that is it's really difficult. Um, as we've been going through this emotion series, um, some have maybe been incredibly helpful for you more than others. And, and today I imagine that will be the case um, because some people that are, that are watching right now are dealing with sadness that other people can't see, can't understand, um, and really have never experienced in their life. And so this, this will prayerfully be really helpful and encouraging to you today. Um, so we're going to talk about sadness, and the way that we're going to do it is we're going to go to Psalm chapter 13, and we're going to look at the life of, of the author of this psalm, who I'm just going to be referring to as, as David, um, and we're going to see how does he engage as a person that is following after God, how does he engage dealing with sadness in his life? And we're going to look at it as an example, and hopefully it will be so incredibly insightful, but more than that, it will bring hope to you. So if you will, open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 13, and we're going to start off with prayer, and we're going to dive right into it. But before we do that, I want to give you the solution, if you will. I want to give you the thing that I want you to really walk away with, and it's this, is that if we're going to deal with sadness in our life, our joy must be fixed to Jesus. Our joy must be fixed to Jesus, not to our circumstances, not to our relationships, not to uh, our kids and their successes. It can't be fixed to anything but to Jesus and this life. If we're really going to be able to walk through sadness well, that our joy must be fixed to Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Lord, we, we come to you right now because the reality is, as we're living through covid is that people are probably experiencing sadness and depression and anxiety and all the things that really come with it in ways that are deeper and more real than they've ever experienced in their life before. And so as we look at Psalm 13 today, God, I pray that the word of God would come alive in their hearts, that the Holy Spirit would really do something special in them that sparks hope, that points them to Jesus, and that will bring joy no matter what they're going through. God, I pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm chapter 13, we're going to start with verse 1. And here's what it says. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And what I want us to notice here as we jump into this psalm is consider the, the very first question that the psalmist asks, that David says, How long? And what's going on here is that David apparently has been struggling with real deep sadness and and suffering, depression in his life for some sort of significant amount of time. 
And he's worried, he's, he's wondering, he's asking himself, and, he's, and more importantly, he's asking God, how long, God, is this going to continue? It's already been going on for so long, and I'm not really sure how much more I can take. How long will this continue? And if you've ever really dealt with depression or, or real pain in your life for any significant amount of time, you ask yourself those questions as well. And it can be crippling to think that your sorrow may never end. But he goes on to say, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, now this, is, this is something that is extremely difficult to wrap our minds around. Someone that has been called a man after God's own heart is struggling with sorrow to the point where he believes that God has forgotten him. And he feels like it's going to continue forever. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been going through something so deep, so real, so painful, and it's lasted for so long, and God has not stepped in, he has not changed anything, he has, maybe he hasn't even brought any hope into the situation, and you feel like God has forgotten you. You feel like you've been abandoned by the very God who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and yet you're there in that moment, and you're like, God, I can't, I can't see you, I don't see you moving, I can't hear you. I'm not experiencing you. And like David, you ask that question of, will you forget me forever? And worse even still for David is not just the fact that he feels like God has forgotten him, but he also feels that God is hiding from him. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? It's one thing when you feel like God's not near, but it's another thing entirely when you are pursuing after him, to hear from him, to see him, to engage with him. And it seems like he is actively avoiding you, that he's, he's hiding from you, and he's not letting you find him. He's hiding his face. That's exactly what David is experiencing here. And listen, he knows in his head that this is not the case. David understands theologically, if you will, in his mind that God hasn't actually forgotten him, that God hasn't actually abandoned him, and, and certainly God has not been hiding from him. We know that because we can look at, at verses like Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, that he wrote when he says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. So he knows in his head that this isn't the case, that's not true, but in his heart, this is what he is experiencing. This is the reality that he is experiencing in his life, that there's a disconnect between the two. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever been there, but that's exactly what David has going on in his heart. And then when we look to verse 2, David goes on and he says, and how long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So David here, he, he feels forgotten. His pain that he's experiencing has been going on for a significant amount of time. And he feels like it's going to last forever. But, but now he also feels like even in the midst of God hiding from him, he has to try to be the one who brings counsel to his own heart. He is desperately lonely and he is desperate for someone to be able to speak into his situation, 
to be able to bridge that gap between his head and his heart because right now he feels like he's left all alone, left to himself to cancel his soul. Now, this, this is incredibly difficult for those of us when we are in the midst of suffering and really dealing with sorrow. There's people that are extremely close to me in my life that, that deal with clinical depression. And one of the worst things for them is for them to be left alone. And when they do, one of the, one of the things they want to do is they just want to crawl up in their bed and go to sleep because they can't handle the things of life. They can't deal with it. Why? Because they feel all alone. They feel like they have to be the ones that fix their problems, and they can't do it. They know they can't. They can't make sense of how they feel and what they're, what they're going through and all their emotions and all the sadness that they're experiencing, and so they just crawl up and they want to go to sleep. And that's exactly what David is feeling here. He feels like he is left to deal with this stuff himself. But not only this, he finishes verse 2 and saying, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So imagine, put yourself in his place. You're dealing with this sorrow, with this pain, with this stuff that, that is just crushing you on the inside and you feel like you have to deal with it all alone. And then you, you look around and you see the very people that are enemies of God and that are your enemies and they're being exalted. They're being lifted up around you. It seems like everything that they're doing is fruitful and successful. Have you ever experienced that? Man, I, I remember feeling this to the 10th degree when I was growing up in sports. You see, I was five feet tall as a freshman in high school, and I weighed 80 pounds, basically. I was tiny. I was the kid in the sixth grade football team that had to get weighed because they were afraid I was too small. And I worked so hard, and I was trying to love Jesus, and I was, felt like I was more talented and a, and a better teammate than all the people around me my whole life. And it seemed like the people that were being blessed and that got the playing time and that, that made the friends and that had the favor, it was the very people that had wanted nothing to do with God. And I know there's probably some of you who, who work at jobs where you, you try to do things on the straight and narrow and you show up early and you leave late and, and you help out your coworkers and you always get overlooked for that promotion. And it's the people who, who cheat and who, who twist things and who, who don't care about the other people in the office, that they're the ones that the boss, for whatever reason, loves and are being exalted up all around you. And you feel like, God, what is going on? That is exactly what David is experiencing. There's people that literally want to see him dead. And instead of David being the one being exalted up, they are the ones. And it's almost more than he can bear. It's almost more than he can bear. And he says in verse 3, he says, consider and answer me. When I read this, I sense that the first couple of verses in David's conversation with the Lord were almost like an elementary-aged child that is pleading with their father with tears in their eyes to please to to look at him they grab their father's face and like dad don't you see what i'm going through don't you feel my pain why are you hiding from me and then he moves and it's like he has this moment where he becomes like that that angsty teenager and he says consider and answer me it's it's almost irreverent 
the way that he is speaking to God in this moment. He's, it's like he's demanding God to see him and then to answer him, to stop hiding, to stop running, to stop forgetting. But like a teenager that rises up with a bit of disrespect, says to their father, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. And the reason why is not because David is, is trying to manipulate God, but because that's how deep and that's how real and that's how long the pain that he's been going through has felt. And he's gotten to the point when we look at verse 4 where he says this. He says, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Right? He has this moment where he looks around and he sees his enemies being exalted and he's going through this pain and he's desperate for this hope to be entered in, to be injected into his life. In verse 3, he says he needs that his eyes to be lit up lest he sleep the sleep of death. Have you ever been in that moment where darkness seems to just be creeping in and creeping in and taking more hold of you? David wasn't alone in this. When we look at Ezra chapter 9, verse 8, we see the prophet on behalf of the people interceding for them. And he says, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. Man, you want to talk about sorrow. Imagine being the people of God that are in exile, in captivity, desperate for life. And Ezra here, he says that they need God to brighten their eyes, to, to inject hope into the middle of their situation. And that is exactly what David is saying here. He's saying, God, I need you to consider and answer me because if you don't enter into this situation, if you don't show up, if I'm left to myself to deal with this on my own, to bring counsel to my own heart, I feel like I'm going to die. Now, I want you to consider this list of people with me for a moment. Buzz Aldrin, Winston Churchill, Ernest Hemingway, Abraham Lincoln, Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is the, is the man, he's, he's, what's, he's been known as the Prince of Preachers. In my opinion, he is one of the greatest um, authors and, and pastors to have ever been a part of Christendom. And every single one of these guys dealt with lifelong depression. They dealt with lifelong depression. And the reason why I want to bring this this list up is, is this, is that David feels like he is going to die if God doesn't do something. And one of the things, one of the temptations that, that we can feel in the midst of these deep, sorrowful moments is that we can feel shame over the sadness and the depression that we're experiencing. But what I want us to see is that there's been incredible people in this world, and even more specifically, incredible men and women of God throughout the ages who have been faithful, who have loved God, who have won lost people, who have made disciples, who have sacrificed their very lives for the kingdom that have dealt with deep sorrow and depression for their entire lives. 
And so I just want to challenge you, when you think of that, when you hear these words, and if you're today, you're struggling with it, and maybe you struggle with depression, and you're maybe even on medicine, and and you feel shame over that as a Christian, listen, I want to challenge you to let that shame go, to unload that burden from your life. Because listen, when we look at David, and we even consider Jesus himself, he was known as a man of sorrows. This is the very same Jesus who is the the Son of God who left heaven and came to earth and and lived the life that none of us could have lived, that we had to live to be able to have a relationship with God. And he was in a garden the night before he would be betrayed and, and wrongfully accused and wrongfully convicted and eventually murdered. He is there in a garden. He is praying. He's pleading out to God, his Father, and he's saying, if there's any other way for us to bring salvation to these people... Please take this cup from me. Let there be another way. And But there's not. There's not another way. Jesus is literally sweating drops of blood because the sorrow, because of the, the grip of the reality of what he's about to endure is so real. And then as he goes and he is tried and he is beaten and mocked and stripped naked, his flesh is tore open and he is hung on a cross with nails in his hands and feet. He hangs there and he cries out these heart-wrenching words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He feels just like David, forgotten, left alone, like God has abandoned him there on the cross. And we know that's not true. We know that's not what happens because Jesus, after he dies, he raises up from the grave and he proves himself to be the savior of the world. He is the lamb that was worthy to be slain, to be able to pay the price for the sins of the world, for you and for I, myself included. I am not, nobody is, nobody's exempt from the salvation that Jesus wants to bring. All are included. But what that also means when we look at this pain and we look at this sorrow and we think about that list of people, listen, you can love Jesus and deal with this. You can be faithful and struggle with sadness, with sorrow, with depression. I mean, in 2017, the the National Institute of Mental Health, they came out with a statistic that said, in that year, over 17 million Americans had at least one at least one major depressive episode. Think about that. And the reason why that is important is because not only do I not want you to feel shame, but if you're not struggling with with sadness, with real sorrow, or maybe you are, if you go out into the world and you try to present a kind of Christianity that, that it's, everything's great, everything is wrapped up in some beautiful bow, that it doesn't matter what you go through, life is awesome and God is good, what you do in that moment is you present to the world a shallow and cheap Christianity. And that's not what we see here in the Word. That's not what we see in the life of Jesus. Listen to me, it is, it is extremely helpful for us and way more beneficial for the good of those around us that are broken and that are hurting and that are lost, for them to see us as faithful Christians that love God, that are following Jesus, no matter the circumstances, that our, our joy is fixed to Him, because what it tells them is this, is that these people have real faith. 
These people are living and experiencing real life, that this is not some sort of facade. And that's the kind of Christianity that people need to see. That's the kind of Christianity that impacts hearts and lives. But I love verse 5. I love verse 5 because this is where the change happens for David. It says this. It says, but. I don't know about you, but when I study my Bible and I'm reading something hard like this and I see a word like, like but, I circle that thing, I draw an arrow, and I say, praise God, because that was not the end to what David was going through. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. In this moment, in the midst of his pain, David reminds himself of the love of God in his life and the salvation that he has brought and will bring. He remembers all of his love that he got to experience through the Father. You have to remember that David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. He had had messed up, and yet God's love was steadfast, ever there, ever present, in the middle of it all. And even though in this moment, over this significant amount of time, he's experiencing deep sorrow, real sadness, he then reminds himself of the love of God. And because of it, his heart rejoices over the salvation that it brings. This is what you and I must do. We have to fix our hope to Jesus, our joy to Jesus, and remind ourselves of all that Christ has done in our place for us. No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, Jesus is ever there for us and with us. Verse 6 goes on to say, that's not enough for David. He says, I'm also, I'm going to sing to the Lord, right? So it's, he's getting up off his knees and he's not just reminding himself and rejoicing in his heart, but it, but it, it escapes out into his lips and he begins to, to sing to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord has dealt bountifully with him. God has been so good to him in his life. God has been incredibly good to him in his life. One of the most incredible things that can happen in the heart of a believer is in the middle of their sorrow, in the midst of their sadness, is not only can they remind themselves of God's love and his salvation, but they can play back in their mind and remember all the ways that God has been good to them. This kind of thing is what allows a church to be able to gather even if it means in their homes during the midst of COVID and be able to sing out loud with joy the words of it is well with my soul. Why? Because God has been good. It's what allows a family that has experienced incredible hurt, incredible pain to be able to drive down the road together with tears in their eyes and, and sing out loud, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Why? Because they can remember all the ways that God has been good to them in their life. And this is exactly what David is doing. Friends, we must fix our joy to Jesus if we're going to be able to live the Christian experience well in this life. If we're going to be able to Show the world a tangible expression of who God is in this world. We have to fix our joy to Jesus. And so to close, I, wanna, I really just want to 
encourage you with three things. Three things if you're struggling with this. Right now, you might just be in a season. Or maybe, or maybe you struggle with depression and it's a medical condition. I want to encourage you with three things. First thing is this. Talk to God about it for as long as it takes. Don't be silent. Talk to God about it for as long as it takes. Psalm 32 verse 3 says this, and this is David speaking again. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David says, it's not good in the midst of my sadness for me to remain silent. I have to talk to God about it because when I don't, my bones waste away. Talk to God about it as long as it takes. Second thing, preach the truths of Scripture to yourself even when you don't feel it. You know, this is a point that I probably can put and probably have put in the vast majority of my message because it's, it's so important for us. We have to preach the truths of Scripture to ourselves even when we feel, don't feel it. I would say maybe even especially when we don't feel it. Psalm 30 verse 5 says this. It says, for his anger is but for a moment and his, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping, it may tarry for the night, but joy, joy comes in the morning. Right? David understands that, that, you know what, sorrow and sadness, it can last for a long time. It can, that nighttime season of, of pain and hurt and sorrow and depression of, and of feeling isolated and feeling abandoned by God, it can seem like this incredibly long amount of time and, and, and too, too impossible to bear. But guess what? With Jesus, with God, when we remember, when we remind ourselves of his love, guess what? Joy comes in the morning. And, and that is not some theoretical thing for us as Christians. It's not some feel-good thing that we say just to make ourselves feel better. No, it's reality because Jesus has promised that he is coming back. And this is, there's this amazing line that, that David talks about in the Psalms where he says that every tear that we have cried, that God has a bottle for those tears. And he remembers, he sees, he feels. The author of Hebrews in the first few chapters, he makes it very clear that, that we have a high priest, we have a savior who understands and experienced everything that we have felt apart from sin. He knows. And one day he's coming back and he's going to wipe away what? Every single tear from our eye. And that the only thing that we'll be able to experience is joy in his presence forevermore. Come on, that is good news. And so we need to preach that to ourselves even when we don't feel it. And the third thing is this, be brave enough to get help. Don't do this alone. If you need to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. If you need to go see a clinical uh, Christian psychologist, go see a Christian psychologist. If you need to get Christian counseling, whether it be professionally or from your pastors here at First Colleyville, pursue that. Be brave enough to get help. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this, says that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man may prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-four cord is not quickly broken. Listen, friends, one of the values that we have as a church at First Colleyville and that Cross Creek Judson, the church that I am blessed to be able to lead in planting is this, is that we is better than me. God has not designed us for, to be able to live this life on our own. 
our experience, our life is meant to be found in the context of others, both in the seasons of rejoicing and in the seasons of sorrow. Be brave enough to get help. But what if, what if this is not something you struggle with? Maybe you're not in this moment, in this season, or maybe you never have really been in one of these moments. Listen, Galatians 6.10 talks about how there's this idea that if there's ever opportunity to do good, that we should do it to everyone, especially to those who have the household of faith. There's people hurting in your life, whether it be because of the results of their sin or whether it be because they're struggling with depression or something horrible has happened in their life. Listen, if you see that, if you know that, engage. Take advantage of the opportunity and do good. Help out. Be a friend. And the way that you can do this is this. It's three really easy things. First, listen. Become an incredible listener. Sometimes the only thing we need when we're dealing with deep sorrow is for a friend to show up and just listen to us as we bear our heart before them. Become a great listener. To learn. Go out of your way to learn about depression. Go out of your way to learn about what it looks like to deal with real grief, real sorrow, life-altering, life-crushing sorrow. Learn about it. This, is, this communicates so much to people when we have this posture that, hey, we care so much that we want to be able to learn. Why? So we can empathize and be a good friend. And I'm saying this as someone that I struggle with empathy. This is not my strong suit. My wife, she will, she's probably amening right now on the couch. Right? This is not my, but we have to learn. And the third thing is this. This might sound cheesy and simple and obvious, but it's this. Just love. Love people. David talks about how he remembered the steadfast love of God. That's what made him be able to stand up and rejoice in his salvation. Listen, we need to love people. And sometimes that means being a doormat, right? Hurt people, sometimes they deal some, some incredibly painful things to us. They, they say things they don't mean, and they do things they don't mean. And, and they, in their mind even, they know that it might not even make sense. They don't know why they do the thing they do. And that's why it's so important for us to just love them. Engage in long-suffering, represent Jesus, because at the end of the day, we're not the ones that first loved Jesus. He says that is Jesus first loved us. And he came and he died as that substitutionary sacrifice for our sins in our place. And so just love people well. We've talked a lot today about sadness, but I would be remiss if you are sitting at your couch today or maybe at your kitchen table or whatever, and you showed up Maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. If you didn't clearly hear the gospel, if you didn't really hear the message that, that God cares so much about saving his creation that he sent his own son to die for us, that is real, that is true. And the Bible says that it is a free gift of life that Jesus gives each and every one of us. But if we are going to receive it, we must repent. We must turn from ourselves and we must turn and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for the gift of life, for the gift of a right relationship with God the Father, and that Jesus is the only way. The Bible says that he is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. So if you're here today, and you're listening to these words, and maybe you are dealing with deep depression, listen, the only way that you can fix your joy to Jesus is first by having a relationship with him. So I just want to challenge you. I'm going to pray here in a moment.
I'm going to challenge you to run to God, cry out to God, ask him to save you. Tell him that you believe in Jesus and what he has done for you. And then after you do that, let me, let me encourage you this. Reach out to us, whether it's on our, on our Facebook page or whether you email us at our, from our church website or you call us, whatever it is. We want to be able to celebrate with you, but we also want to help take the next steps to show you what it looks like to know and follow Jesus in this life. So I'm going to pray, and I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Jesus, this life is full of many sorrows, many troubles, you say. And it's true, each and every one of us at some point in time is going to deal with real sadness. And my prayer, my deep hope today is that people have found the light that is in you, that they have seen that that they need to fix their joy to nothing else but Jesus himself. And then when they walk through this pain, they would know that they're not alone. They don't have to feel shame. They don't have to feel like there's no hope, but there is hope. And that they would turn to you and understand that you show up in times of help and need. That you're a good friend. That you're closer than a brother. So God, I just pray that over each and every one that is listening today. And God, I pray that we as your people would be able to represent you well in the world so that when other people around us that don't know you are struggling with sadness, they would see us and our hope in you, our joy being fixed to you, and they would turn to you for life and for forgiveness. God, I pray these things in Jesus' name.